This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 314, where today AC is going to sit down and talk about mainframe migrations to Azure with Steve Stewart, recorded live August 1st, 2019. For those of us familiar with ShareGate, we know that they've always been about SharePoint and Office 365 migration. But now that we've all moved to the cloud, like me, you're probably thinking, how about how to scale your Office 365 to a full self-serve environment without worrying about thousands of groups and teams popping up out of nowhere, AKA sprawl. That's why the folks at ShareGate developed ShareGate Apricot. It's a solution that helps us automate our Office 365 group's governance by allowing us to collaborate with users to keep everyone accountable for the things they create. Their super simple to use in-app experience lets us lighten our load by delegating group management responsibilities to users we trust, AKA no more sprawl. Want to get your hands on ShareGate Apricot? Try it for free for 30 days at sharegate.com slash show. Hello, everybody. This is a solo show. CJ is out this week taking care of work at the, uh, I think he's down in Australia and New Zealand. He covered the bases with me last week being on vacation. So I'm covering the bases this week. And this week, I've got a fun little, a different kind of a show that we've done in the past. Or at least the topic is going to be a little bit different, but one that I think is really interesting. I sat down with an old friend of mine this week, a guy named Steve Stewart. And Steve works for a company, he's a CTO for Estadia. And what they do, what one of the main businesses that they do is they migrate, they help customers migrate from old mainframe systems up to the cloud. Steve and I are old friends. We used to work together 10 plus years ago and stayed in touch. And we've talked about that. I've talked to him about this a couple different times, but when I, it wasn't until just recently that I started to really get my arms and I really understand that my previous understanding of this was really incorrect. In the past, I always thought that when you wanted to migrate from, say, a mainframe, an IBM mainframe up to a cloud or being more modern infrastructure, this was a 100% lift and shift. I mean, it was a massive project. I was involved with a, uh, with a company where they were looking to do the exact same thing. And I think there was like you know, two years of just reverse engineering what they currently had before they could start rebuilding it for the new platform. As you'll hear in our interview with Steve, that it really, that's not the case today. You don't have to do that. There is a lot of, of ways that you can, that, that his company, what they've come up with a lot of patterns on how you can move to the cloud in a more incremental process and be able to leverage your existing assets, your existing processes that you've built and that are running on the mainframe, how you can migrate parts of those up into Azure. And then once you do that, then you can start taking advantage of all this other really cool stuff that's available to you. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview. And then next week, we will be back with CJ and I back on the show as normal. But before we hear the interview, let's hear from some of our great sponsors who make this show possible. Struggling to reproduce problems in your code base? Successful software starts with Raygun. Raygun provides application performance monitoring unlike anything that you've experienced before, offering greater clarity around how your software is performing for your customers than any other APM provider. Easily detect and diagnose issues impacting end users and monitor every part of your stack in one place. It's time to get back to building great software instead of fighting it. Start your journey to better software quality and try Raygun for free at raygun.com today. A 99.9% SLA means you're protected from power outages, bad patches, natural disasters, maybe even a dinosaur attack. Does it protect you from yourself though? Affpoint Backup for SharePoint Online provides full fidelity backup and recovery. 
from individual items to entire team sites. Avpoint can run backups up to four times a day to ensure your data is secure. Recover anytime you want without having to pick up the phone and schedule restore windows. Learn why Avpoint is the Microsoft Cloud expert at www.avpoint.com. If you could score an extra hour or two back in your day, would you take it? Because our friends over at Nintex want to give you a gift. The gift of time. Seriously. If you haven't checked out what Nintex has to offer lately, you should. The platform built on Azure has evolved a lot. In just the past few months, the Nintex team has added new process mapping capabilities and most recently, a new e-sign capability called Nintex Sign, powered by Adobe Sign. Nintex also continues to revolutionize products you know and trust, including Nintex Workflow and Forms. With the power of Nintex, it is faster and easier for you to configure, not code, giving you valuable time back every day to spend it however you want. Test drive the Nintex Process Cloud at Nintex.com. All right, today we are joined by Steve Stewart. Steve Stewart is a legacy modernization expert offering 30 plus years of experience or expertise in transitioning mainframe workloads to other platforms. He's recognized as a leader in the mainframe modernization space with a proven record of helping companies identify, eliminate, rejuvenate, or modernize their mission critical applications to hybrid IT or the cloud. My, Steve's expertise includes application portfolio rationalization, modernization strategies, and leveraging Azure as the alternative compute for mainframes such as Unisys and IBM. Responsible for the development of several automated migration tool sets, international expertise with clients throughout Latin America and EMEA, fluent in Spanish, English, Portuguese, and specialties include mainframe modernization strategies, application portfolio management, and deployments to the cloud. Steve, how are you doing today? Pretty good, AC. How you been? Doing good, man. It's been a long time since we've been able to, to get together. We traded emails a bunch. We, we actually have a pretty long history, I guess. Yeah, it's been a long time. That's right. <laughs> I started, I was, when I first came out of college, I was working for a small startup shop that was ultimately bought by a larger consultancy. And I think you joined the company or you were already with the company and you and I started working together about like a little bit before, a little bit after that whole right. acquisition. That right. Yeah. And then we went over to the, I moved my office over there to where you guys were. Yeah. Yeah. So, on the, uh, in the, in the classic startup space on a, on a road in Jacksonville, Florida, that was an yeah. industrial space where. Pretty much. Yeah. God. Yeah. It was a sketchy place. I'll never forget. I'll never forget driving into the office a couple of times and seeing, let's see, how do I say this? Ladies of the night following my car and thinking I was pulling over to have a conversation with them. It's like, nope, exactly. I'm going to work. You're going to work. I'm going to work. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And then I guess you and I spent some time too. I left that company and you were instrumental in getting me to come back. And I spent a year working on a contract that you, you, you were spearheading with. Um, it's one of those interesting years of my work life when I, was, I worked in, uh, for one of the intelligence agencies at the Department of Defense, United States Department of Defense, doing the STIG, for those who know what that is, to a bunch oh, yeah. of IS and SQL boxes. So now there's an Azure STIG. I've heard of that too. I was talking to somebody who does those. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, it's, a, it's it continues on. So yeah, yeah. that's crazy, crazy stuff. But hey, you know, you're hot off the tour of being over at the or being, I guess, yeah, I guess over. I'm used to saying Inspire is up in Toronto, but this year it was in Las Vegas. Yes, and uh, you were involved in a session where you were talking about what you do. You were involved in a session with a bunch of other people where you were talking about what you end up doing, what your main line of work is today, which is. You and I have been talking about this for a little bit, and I find this really interesting. It's like, correct me if I'm wrong, but you work with companies today who use these mainframes, the things that 
people who are in their 30s and 40s like going, ah, that's stuff that they used back in the 70s or whatever. But they're still out there today and people are looking to, how can I migrate from what I was using on the mainframe? How can I migrate to the cloud? Exactly. So it's kind of funny, I, since you're a space person, so, you know, IBM mainframe, right? The 360 put man on the moon and mm. cloud is going to put man on Mars. So huh. if you think about the limited capacity they had and the mainframe doesn't, you know, it's very powerful, but the cloud is equal to the mainframe. It could do the same amount of transactions or everything like that. And so what we help is transition those, that, that workload from the mainframe to the new compute, which is Azure. And then you're able to then rejuvenate your applications by once you get your applications down to leverage AI, ML, all the things that Kubernetes put them into containers, uh, maybe go serverless, all the things that exist within the framework. It's cloud native. And that's what's really driving a lot of innovation right now, a lot of interest in what we're doing. I, you know, some of the stuff that I saw from uh, not only in your session at Inspire, but also some of the other research that I've done and that you're providing me is, I grew up working my tech experience. I didn't spend a ton of time with mainframes. I was kind of coming onto the scene when mainframes were more, they were still there, but cloud was starting to kind of come around. I mean, I was there before cloud, but, and I worked on some projects with mainframes, a bunch of document imaging stuff, but it surprised me. Well, you know that it still runs a lot of businesses, like banks and stuff. Some of the numbers that I was looking at here really surprised me. And so I thought that I'd share some of this with our listeners to, to give them some perspective on how this is still important, how they're, how, what the opportunity looks like. So, I mean, one of the things that you, that you provided here was that you know, 95% of all credit card transactions still use mainframe or COBOL. Seven of the top 10 Fortune 10 companies have mainframes. Eight of the top insurance companies have them. And so here's something that to show people that like, yes, things are changing, but it's not so much that, you know, things have changed so much that they don't matter anymore. There were ballpark, what, 160,000 mainframes in the 1990s. Now there's less than 30,000 as of 2014. Mm -hmm. But 8,300 people continue to rely on them. Now, this is the part where it gets kind of cool for your business, where you're like, yeah, a lot of people aren't doing this, but here's where it's interesting. If you just migrated 10% of these customers over the next three years, that represents $4.4 billion in services revenue and $1 billion in Azure consume revenue. That tells me two things. Number one, there's a lot of work out there for people like you. And number two, Microsoft really gives a damn because somebody's doing a lot of Azure consumption. <laughs> that's right. And if you look at the ACR revenue that we generate for that kind of compute, that's exactly right. And that is the opportunity here. You know, and we were at, you know, at Inspire. You know, it's kind of interesting. I was at Inspire to inspire my competitors come join the fight. You know, so, <laughs> so, but, but there's so much work. There's so much work. You're going to need a village of people to do this. And, and that's why it's so exciting. That's why you know, I've been busy like get all. But that is true. And what's happening is that the ones that are left are like large governments, you know, DOD, a lot of mainframes there, IRS, all mainframe. All, these are large agencies, insurance companies, mainframes, all the 50% of Medicare processing in the United States is done on a mainframe, right? So there's a lot of stuff that's still going on that's still out there. And, you know, we help identify what those are and put them to the new compute, which is in Azure. So, you know, some of the stuff that I've, that I've heard you talk about with this, where when I first, I'll admit, when you and I talked about this maybe about a month or two ago, we were just, we were training some emails, we jumped on the phone, we chat, you know, shot the breeze about some stuff. And then I watched your session at Inspire as well. And there was, I realized that when we first talked, 
I didn't have the right understanding of the kind of stuff that people were doing today or what their, what their perspective was on this whole thing, which I thought that, okay, if I want to make this move, I mean, I'm using tech that, I mean, for lack of a better term, I'm using some older tech. The mainframe stuff is older tech, but it's still around because it's so reliable. It doesn't go down. Like it's, and it, it scales well. Yeah. I was of the mindset that, okay, if somebody really wanted to modernize their business and make and move to the cloud from their mainframe, they were looking at a complete rewrite and lift and shift from what they had today to the cloud. But one of the things I've, I've heard you talk about was you don't have to do that. You don't have to do no. the big bang. No. So that's part of the uh, misunderstanding and part of why I'm trying to push out the message. You know, the large SIs love massive rewrite projects because when you're trying, so think about it's fraught with risk. If you have a system that's never been documented, systems have been written in the 80s and 90s are not fully documented. So they come in to, you know, do a JAD session, gather all the requirements, and then they got to rewrite. Those are multi year large projects, right? What we've done, actually what Microsoft has done is has invested into newer COBOLs with MicroFocus is one of our key partners. And so that MicroFocus code set compiles to the CLR level. So it's a managed code set. It compiles to the Java bytecode. So it looks like a .NET language. They brought in the IDEs with Eclipse and Visual Studios. So I'm always saying my future COBOL developers are quite frankly, the C-sharp developers are out there today because C-sharp developers today are learning R, you know, they're learning C-sharp, they're learning all these different languages as long as it's within that IDE. And when you're in the IDE with Visual Studio, you're able to continue doing, and they'll pick up COBOL quickly because it's very easy to use. So mm. we do a rapid exit from the mainframe, data and all, and bring it down to be cloud native. And from there, you could do machine learning and artificial intelligence and Power BI and all the frameworks. So you actually rejuvenate your applications. But And there's a lot of stuff that you can build then that you can leverage a lot of the stuff that you have today. So it's not so much the big bang switchover, right? right. You'll be able to like modernize parts of it. And I agree with, I, I understand what you're saying too about the, you know, a lot of SIs love that big bang kind of movies. It's a huge project. I remember when I left the company that you and I were working with, I went over to another large financial institution right. uh, in Jacksonville. Who has a mainframe. And yeah, they had a mainframe. <laughs> and then they, one of the, yeah, they still do, well, this is part of, I remember, I remember the story will make a little, maybe make sense to our listeners in just a second. <laughs> I remember where they, when I got there, they were in the middle of a massive project. So I don't want to name the company, but one of their major lines of business is they do mortgage servicing for very large banks in the United States and internationally. Their software runs a lot of banks and some banks that, I mean, let's just say it's probably, if you're in the United States, probably 70% of you are on one of the three banks that I'm thinking of based on, on the things that, that they service. Now, the crazy, this company was purchased like two or three times and the original company that had built this software, they wanted to build it in a much more in a, a more like microservices based approach and much more of a, a service based application. And so they were in the middle of a process of doing a complete, you know, Jad said a complete reverse engineering session because the people who were responsible for building that application, they were all starting to retire. They were all starting to go and they didn't have docs on this stuff. And they had the highest paid people in the organization were some of these very old developers that they were like, we just don't want you to go. What will it take to get you to stay here? Because we're terrified of this thing breaking. And so they were in the middle of trying to go through into that huge, just trying to figure out what was there. I remember it was like a four or $5 million project that was going to go over two or three years. And they ended up abandoning that project at the time 
because it wasn't going well. I mean, they were like, we're not figuring this stuff out right. And they were trying to do it all at once. I left before anything happened. So I left before, after that it happened. So I don't know what, what ultimately happened. They're still on the mainframe and they're still using the applications. Yeah. So fast forward, that was what, 10 years ago? 15, I yeah. don't know, 15 years ago? So 2007, I mean, yeah. Yeah, so you think about that. You can't, time keeps on ticking. And guess what? There's Pew Research, 10,000 people turn 65 every day. So the baby boomers are retiring in droves. And that's what's happening right now. The folks that wrote these applications are leaving and you got to pass the baton to the next generation, which is why, you know, what we're doing, you know, Mm -hmm. making it be a COBOL, moving into COBOL.net and all those things. Yeah. What you said is exactly what's happening right now at a worse scale. There's people that still have assembler. There's a large, I don't know, there's a GAO report that just came out in the federal government, top 10 mission critical systems. One of them's got a boatload of assembler. (laughs) People don't learn assembler, but Uh that runs a very important, uh, maybe you download the GAO report, you can see it, but a, a very key federal agency that we all depend on is written in assembler. And it's pretty scary. So these are the things that we have to start tackling and unwinding. And we have solutions for that as well, but that's, that's what the work is. Man, so, where, are you seeing, where are you seeing most people, like when companies are coming to you guys to do this stuff, where are you seeing most of their motivation for this? Are they, we want to modernize or we're in a position where we kind of have to, or we need to be able to add new features and we simply can't do it because what we have here is this giant black box, well, figuratively and literally, they've right. got this giant black box and it's like, we can't extend this because the skill right. sets are harder, more expensive to find. Right. We want to move so, to the cloud. Right, so you know, I've been talking about this for years and years and years. I mean, my entire career has been almost based on this. I've been in the business for 30 years, but you know, my first mainframe migration in 1994, we've been advocating these types of changes. But what's happened is that it's really the tipping point are the people that are retiring. So Mm -hmm. literally part of our assessment is what are your top mission critical apps? What is the staff that's maintaining those apps? And what is the age of those people that are maintaining those apps? Because if you have a mission critical app that's being maintained by a bunch of 60 year old guys or gals, then what is your succession strategy there? Right. And what are you going to do? So we're seeing when people retire. So part of that, the other thing that we're seeing is the 30-year veteran CIO that has a partnership with IBM for the last 30-something years retires, and then a new guy, a digital native, comes in and goes, we're spending how much for what? Hmm. Because back in the day, you bought IBM. There used to be a saying, you can't go wrong with IBM because they, they made the chips. They hmm. made the infrastructure. They built the mainframes. They actually, you know, high resiliency, awesome machine, high I.O. Well, you know, the cloud is being powered by NVIDIA and AMD and Intel. And those chips are made for genome research and weather forecasts. They're not to run a COBOL transaction. And mm. the biggest advent for mainframe to me was the invention of SSD. Because heavy IO on the mainframe, I put that on SSD. I can crank through a lot of data coupled with very powerful chips, coupled with ML and AI. I can do a lot of neat stuff with your applications. But the drive, to me, what's happening is people retiring, IT leadership retiring, and people coming in looking at, I'm spending how much with IBM for this? And how much, if you look at ACR consumption, we're seeing 60% reduction in cost because Hmm. you're going from a proprietary computing model to a commodity-based computing model. And Hmm. it's just, if I want to buy an Intel server, where would I buy it from? I mean, tons of people. I want to buy an IBM mainframe. Guess what? We're buying it from one person. 
Yeah, one right. person. <laughs> <laughs> so that's literally what's driving that. So we're seeing because of the uh, the change in the demographics going on with these companies. And the, the most interesting thing we're seeing in financial and industry is fintechs. The fintechs are coming in 100% cloud-based, doing circles around the, these, these agencies. And that's why you have people like Capital One who made a commitment to get off the mainframe and go in. But these are things that are happening that we're seeing because of the fintechs. And, me and you, if we go into business, I don't need to go buy capital of a big mainframe or big compute. We just pay as we go. Yep. Yep. I mean, that's how my business is run too. I mean, we, right. it's getting started with a business now is so much easier because you just, you're paying on consumption. You don't have to, right. back in the days, you had to go, you had to make your own electricity or you had to go do, you right. had to do X and Y. And now you don't need this $100,000 investment to go build right. a, a date. Well, the, the company I left with you and I worked with, the company right. I left for a while, they were trying to go up with a you know a couple hundred thousand dollars to build a, two massive data centers to support what they were going to end up doing, and you just don't need that now. You, no. you just if you have the business, you scale up. Right. Someone looks at me like, hey, you know, can I get? I do I do training. I do video hosting for uh, training, and I had a customer come to me and said, yeah, we've got about five hundred users. We need to go through and get trained up. Can you support that? I'm like, yeah, I can support that. Like you didn't even bat an eye. I'm like, yeah, because it's not my problem. I mean, yeah, my costs are going to go up, but they're variable costs. It's perfectly fine to me. More customers. Right. The people that I'm using, they want me to have my cost go up. Right. Definitely ready for it. <laughs> exactly. So that's, you, know, you set up a VDI or whatever. I mean, you're ready to go. So that's, uh, yeah. that's exactly right. So that's, that's, so that's what we're seeing. So the way you described it, man, it's when I look at these kind of problems with, you know, when you're trying to, to solve a problem for someone, it's, or you're trying to, you're doing some work for someone. I usually try and break it down into one of two buckets. And it's either an aspirin or a vitamin. And it sounds like a lot for what you guys are doing. You're doing, it's a lot of aspirin type work. It's people have a pain and they need something, they need a fix. It doesn't sound like it's driven as much by, we want to modernize to be able to do more stuff. We want a vitamin. We're trying to do additional things. It's more that we need to get better with the times and, and get and do, right. do the new stuff. So, so the first dose is an aspirin. And mm-hmm. then the second dose is a vitamin. Because once I get on Azure, you're going into AI, then you're actually rejuvenating. So let's get you out so that you can actually do these kinds of things. And there's nothing stopping us because we could do microservices from these monolithic applications. There's tools that'll break it out. You can open that up. You go into uh, into containers and Kubernetes, right? Then I'm a, of the oak that, what do you care what language is written and if it's in a container being orchestrated by Kubernetes, mm-hmm. right? Yep, that's it's my not, attitude. And so that's why I do believe that COBOL is still going to be around for a long time because it's, there's so much business logic that's contained within. That's what we're seeing. How hard is that for, to do that with someone? I mean, how hard is that for a company to say like, you know, we've got all these processes that are all running in COBOL that I want to be able to, I want to move a lot of this logic up into the cloud and be able to have our data be up in the cloud, be, be able to take advantage of things at more scale. But I don't want to rewrite everything. I want to take right. this app and just shove it into a container I don't care what, how it's running on the inside. Ultimately, I don't care. I just care about the inputs and the outputs. And then how well does it run? It's kind of like what you're already doing with, with a mainframe, but you're just letting somebody else run it and somebody else maintain it. How hard is it to go from that process over? And I, I get that there's probably a lot of like, well, it depends, it's, it depends, it depends. But Right. I'll tell you, all of my scars. So I'll tell you this. The reality is not a technical issue. I know Azure SQL will work. I know I can make something fixed. I know that the the cloud will perform. It is almost all psychological because the people that you go talk to, like those 60, 70-year-old guys that were being paid handsomely, they don't want to let go. 
and they're scared. Or even the, let's say the 50-year-old guy that's made the cobalt developed don't want to let go. So you have to be, there's a psychology to this. They're going to be relevant downstream. We need your help to do this. So it's not complex once you take the human element out of it. Because at the end of the day, RACF, which is security on the mainframe, that goes into AD. 90% of customers today authenticate into AD and then they authenticate to the mainframe. So you don't need to go through that step anymore. So there's a nice mapping. Everything maps. The cobalt comes down. There may be nuances on it, like an assembler, right, that you have to deal with. Why did you write an assembler? Because back in the day, it was very cheap and quick. It was fast. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I ran, people did do Julian date conversions in assembler, right? It's quick. Well, I can do that. I can find a widget in .NET to do that. So that's a mapping exercise. So it's, it's pretty easy. The, uh, probably the most complex thing is people. Mm. Right? Make sure you have the right team composition. And where I see magic happen is when I have a, a .NET developer who understands Visual Studio paired up with a COBOL guy that understands the business process but doesn't understand how Visual Studio works. And that mentorship really works out really well. So it's, it's pretty straightforward if you follow the recipe and follow that. But I can't stress over-communicating to the staff, having these meetings in the room and everybody comes out and everybody's what they're talking about. Oh, I'm here, we're going to go do this. And all that chatter, you got to hit it straight on. Because passive aggressive people that show up to help will kill you. Yeah, that's what usually happens. Well, yeah, and it's I can see that I can see people having the you know the the, the human nature <laughs> having the fear when you hear this that if right. that's the work that I'm doing, it's like what what you're moving my cheese, and it sounds like you're taking what I work on and you're giving it to somebody else. So then, what's my value going right. forward? That, I mean, that human nature, I get it, but it's a. I've done that in another company. We were looking, we were migrating off of notes over to Exchange. They moved all the messaging stuff, got moved over to Exchange. That was an easy migration or relatively easy migration. But then it was, how do we move all of our notes applications, which really are just custom forms on top of a database. It's like, well, it's custom dev. Like going, yeah, I don't, I'm scared if I do this, it's not going to go. It's like, I got news for you. Nobody's buying new notes licenses because they're doing new dev. They're buying them because they haven't migrated off it and they're afraid of losing support. <laughs> yeah, that is exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. So that now's your opportunity to take advantage of being involved in the migration, so that you 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 know train you up, get you know the apps. Let's keep you involved in these things. And yeah. So, what do you see are some of like the biggest benefits? Or when let me ask it a different way: when you see some of your customers that have moved from the mainframe, two questions: have they made? Or do most of your customers? end up making the complete shift over where then they completely decommission their mainframe? Yes. Probably the biggest thing we see is that I would say 80%, 90% of mainframe workloads or whatever, are they're using a waterfall. So they do, we're going to do quarterly releases or semi-annual release, right? Mm-hmm. So now you have like the fintech guys doing CICD and Agile and all those things, doing daily, weekly releases or being able to, if a new client comes in, having that Agile methodology with their thing, they're able to meet the needs of their new clients with their mainframe guys. Well, we can do that, but we'll release this in uh, December. And that's that's a no-go. So so what we're seeing is the benefits coming off the mainframe isn't the deploying Agile methodology and getting rid of waterfall. So you're not only modernizing the infrastructure, you're modernizing your development cycles, and then you're also modernizing by leveraging you know, the BI, the Power BI, which is very powerful on Azure, AI and ML. Those are the things that we're seeing that people want to get into. So how fast, that was my, you, you went right into my second question then. So how fast do you see companies and like how much of an interest do you see that once they've 
once they've made this shift, once they've tried the gateway drug and they're in, now they're inside of Azure and they can see, look at all this other stuff that we can do with our business that's available to us today. Like you're talking about, you know, Power BI and machine learning, but doing, you know, being able to talk to other systems so much easier and stuff than what they were doing before. Do all of your customers or some of your customers end up just doing like this huge explosion of, you know, they're a kid in a candy store. Like, oh, I got, now I've got an appetite and look at all this new stuff right. that I can now do. Which we have a, a mix of customers. Some customers say, you know what, uh, this application is 30 years old. We need to stage it over here to reduce our cost because long-term we're going to do an SAP deployment. Okay. Right? So, it's a, so it's a stopgap. We have others that actually embrace it all and goes, okay, what are all the, the nice-to-haves and to-dos that you always wanted to do with your applications, but we're really limited to just COBOL on the mainframe? Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we're seeing people are just consuming additional. And so from a Microsoft perspective, you know, you're increasing ACR as you bring in additional services. And even if you're consuming more ACR and increasing your, it's still a lot less than maintaining it on the mainframe uh, today. Mm-hmm. So what we're seeing is that that's the hybrid. The folks that are, they need a stopgap, reduce their costs because they're going to do a package deployment and folks that take their existing applications and rejuvenate it by offering. Think about dashboards pivot tables that you could do with your data. These are things that the mainframe guys would export it when you were doing it. I, I guarantee you were getting files from the mainframe mm-hmm. that then you would import and then you would make it look nice. You don't need to do that interim step, that you know sneaker net stuff that you were doing back in the day. You can actually just take the data and create your pivot tables. I mean, Power BI is freaking powerful. I love <laughs> what Power BI can do. Yeah. yeah, And so being able to offer that to your executives and all that stuff because they want to see the nice graphs and everything like that, that's something that's very powerful versus just exporting it out. But imagine being able to do it real time. Imagine being able to orchestrate the data as it's coming out from the stores or you know, like the, you know, things like that. Those are, those are things you're able to do quickly. Yeah, those are like being able to leverage like Azure Stream Analytics and having it export straight over to, to Power BI. I remember to, to everybody who's listening to this, if, if you're like me, right, where you're, you're a .NET developer or you're a JavaScript developer or whatever, you're the more modern style developer. And let's say you're in your 30s, you're in your 40s, and, or in your 20s, and you haven't had the opportunity to work like in, with a mainframe in the past. I mean, it's, it's an eye-opening experience when you see what the mindset is, like when you want to get some data, you don't talk to the database. You basically submit a request for a job to be run and then maybe have it be run on a daily basis or everywhere and you get the you get a dump of an extract. And then you take that extract and you import it into your process and you work with what you have. You don't ever have access to, to the real data. You always get to play with, with an extract. And I'm not talking about, I'm going all the way back to all my, all my battle scars too, where I'm not talking about like, hey, you know, no, the company won't let you talk straight to PeopleSoft. You know, you're going to have, or to J.D. Edwards, you're going to have to instead do your, I think J.D. Edwards, is that right? That's someone. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then you aren't going to be able to talk directly to those systems. You're going to have to only access the read-only views that you get that are extracted once every like six hours or once every 12 hours. I'm not talking about those kinds of things. I'm talking about like, no, you are going to be given the data that then you have to go do whatever you want with it and then figure out a process for scrub it, build new reports and everything, then design all the reports instead of it be, things of being so much more self-service these days and just what, what way business is going. I mean, it's, right. it's, it would be, it'd be fun to kind of see what, how certain companies, uh, how that works. Right. So companies. if I can react to real-time data or do I want to react to a day-old data? I mean, yeah. that's, so this is, or, or even a week old. Sometimes they just do these data marts that they refresh every week. So you're mm-hmm. always producing reports that's stale. 
mm-hmm. where you know once I'm in Azure Native, I can just pull right into it because I'm in I'm all in the same system. Yeah, right? yeah. So, Talk to one of those people that are used to doing that. You're like going, hey, look, when you you know in a meeting, pull your phone up and you know say like. What's the question? You slice and dice a couple of reports and it's like going, yeah, it's, here's the answer of what we're looking at live data. And you got one of those people looking at you like, how in the world can you do that today? All right. And that's what's happening when you're talking to mainframe folks. Mm. They that's cool. They can't wrap their head around the, what do you mean a release schedule every week? You're going to send a, a new system every week? Are you kidding me? You know, <laughs> we do it quarterly. You know, so the whole CD. I mean, this is the whole agile thing. So it's a whole new world and it's part of the, you know, my thing is right now, you migrate or die. Because if yep. you're just going to keep staying, doing the way you're doing it, dealing with old things. I love that AT&T commercial with the, with the turtles, you know, the yeah. tortoises, you know. <laughs> if you got the facts for the Y2K product project, you know, it's almost like that to me, yep. how I feel. So It definitely does. It definitely does. So, hey, Steve, is there anything else that you would like to express upon our listeners? We got a bunch of show notes we're going to include. I've got a link to the session you did that you were involved in at Inspire. You were also on a Azure Friday with uh, Scott Hanselman talking about a lot of this stuff as well. I'll have a link to that where um, people can learn more about it. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, there's a couple of things. Is that you know most of our listeners are developers. They may be, whether they know it or not, there's a mainframe on site. If, especially for the large brand stuff. So just be aware that there's an alternative to actually move that workload down. I'll provide a link to the reference architecture from mainframe to uh, Azure so that you're able to, to take it from there. But when the mainframe guy says it can't be done, it can be done. Mm. Because everything that you have right now in Azure is equal to and sometimes better than what you currently have on the mainframe. And, I, and I'm an old mainframe guy. So, yeah. so I've been bought on this whole thing and, and Microsoft, I'll just add this, Microsoft has taken this series in Azure Cat, there's four or five mainframe specific gurus that actually speak mainframe. So they're enhancing the Azure framework to support this. And Bob Ellsworth is the global mainframe guy for Microsoft and, you know, Microsoft's taking this series. So huh. leave it that. that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, yeah, we'll make sure we have a bunch of these notes in the show, but uh, hey, before we do that... We have a fun little thing that we like to do in our show. We call it okay. Picks. You familiar with this? Yes, I think so. Okay, yeah. Okay. So we've got, first of all, if, if people can hear stuff that's going on in the background, we just all of a sudden have like a pop-up thunderstorm just hit right outside. So I'm all of a sudden getting slammed with rain. Welcome to Florida. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're doing a video call, even though we're within about 15 miles of each other. But yeah. <laughs> ACS Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. CJ's Hyperfish automates the collection of user profile information from users in organizational directories such as Office 365, SharePoint, Active Directory, and HR systems. The secure service supports on-premises, hybrid, and online environments. Bring your directory to life at hyperfish.com. Okay, so... Would you like to share with our listeners something that is cool to you, something that's interesting? I'm guessing, you know, some people that are going to pick up on this episode may be new to our show because it's a topic we haven't done in the past. So hopefully you found this via the Googles or the, the Facebooks and the Twitters. What we do, we, we do picks in every one of our shows. As the host, as uh, you as the guest, and then we've got another listener pick we'll do as well. Basically just say, do you have a link of something you'd like to share with our listeners that is Something that's interesting to you, it might be related, it might be totally unrelated to this, it might be as long as it is not super questionable and off-color or something like that, or you know, controversial or something like that, hey, we're, we're open to it. So yeah. I'd love to hear what, what's on so, your mind these days. 
Do you love pie? I love pie. <laughs> so I'm a big fan of raspberry pie. I oh, yes. wait, so, <laughs> food or the toy? <laughs> the, <laughs> the toy. It was a toy, like the utility. I, I've got about three or four pies running around the house doing different <laughs> things. So my latest thing with raspberry pie is, uh, I just bought the pie four because I'm actually going to be playing with it this afternoon, is uh, retro pie. Where you actually get the, um, I've always had discussion with my kid. I feel like my dad, you know, back in my day, we had a joystick <laughs> and we had a, you know, we had played Pong and they're doing Call of Duty, you know. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, if you go to RetroPie, you know, I'm playing old school games. So kind of like the very beginning of the, uh, some, it's a lot of, there's an emulation station on there. And uh, that's, that's kind of one of the things I've been playing around with. So I got a little, little system here with my kids and we play and it's surprising they like some of these older games so it is no it's funny it's, it's cool it's, I've, I've always wanted to do this I've sat down I gotta I've only been a software guy I've wanted to do some hardware stuff you see some of those kits that you can get the joystick and the buttons and here's how you wire things together and have the display set up and make the table and it looks like so much fun if there was like I need to somehow find like where's the spare time that I could carve out and say right where is, I don't need another home project. I want a fun project to work right. on. Can I, I got a half-built Lego Porsche over here that I want to finish. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So, so I, did, I did a little table thing, and it just got, and the kids are playing that. So it's in the game room, and uh, and it's kind of funny they're playing that because you know there's lots of games there. The old, you know, the old Atari 800 where I used to play a long time ago, and you can kind of see the. It's just game playing is pretty good, but from a modernization perspective, I'm kind of looking at look at the old games that I used to play. You know, yeah. compared to what you guys are playing today, so yeah, oh, that's, like area. that's what. Yeah, I get first thing I go look for when I get a new iPad. It's like, uh, and here comes the thunder. First yeah. thing I do to get a new iPad. It's like, you know, where's the Pac Man? Where's Dig Dug? Where's Burger King? And yeah, all those games. Ah, oh, it's, it's pretty fun. fun. It's pretty fun. So, anyways, that's kind of and and Pi is very interesting. You could do Pi with ML. I saw one where the guy had it taking pictures of the open garage and closed garage. So they it would teach it to know when it's open or closed. So he'll always have it then close the garage as the kids left the garage door open. I thought that was a pretty neat thing of using Azure and AI for that machine uh, learning. So it's, so it's lots of neat stuff you can do with it. So here's something you may be interested in. A buddy of mine up in New Jersey, he is a PhD for computer vision and does a lot of machine learning and deep learning stuff. And he just, I guess he's in the middle of delivering Fulfilling? No, he's in the middle of creating delivery will happen later this fall of a Kickstarter that he launched earlier this year was wildly successful. It's using a Raspberry Pi and Python to do computer vision. And so I went, I backed it. I've got some of his other books. He does everything with Python and OpenCV. He's been doing this for a long time. And my goal right now is to take the work that he's done with the book that he has that's coming out He's just recently shipped the images that he uses for uh, his Raspberry Pi. Some of it, he's also going to be leveraging a Pi 4. And uh, my daughter has gotten into Rubik's Cubes big time. And so we're going to build something. I want to learn Python. I know people complain about and stuff, but that's the science language. I want to build something that's going to be able to take take a camera using Raspberry Pi, take a picture, I can show it all the different sides of a Rubik's Cube. And then it's like, Here's how you solve it. And it gives you all the steps for it. So it's part using computer vision, learning a little bit of algorithm, taking some algorithms already defined out there for solving a Rubik's Cube. Yes, yes, um, yes. My daughter's really interested in this stuff. And I was like, oh, man, cool little project that yeah. I'm going to learn something. She's going to learn something. Yeah, I got that Tarango Rubik's Cube on the shelf here somewhere that I've been trying to you know figure out in two years. And, and she did it like in, I don't know, 15 seconds. I was like, what the heck? Yeah, <laughs> it's insane. It's crazy. It is. It's, it's really impressive. It's, it's, uh, it's really impressive. It's fun. Yeah, that's that a, sounds that, cool. 
That's an awesome pick. I've got one that I'll share with our listeners, uh, and it's kind of on topic to what we're talking about. So in the spirit of the the Apollo 11 50th anniversary just recently, uh, I was listening to a podcast that CJ and I, our co-host, has talked about a lot recently. But a book that was mentioned in it is a book called Digital Apollo. I'm listening to it right now, and it's really the behind the scenes and a lot of the, the unpacking a lot more details of how it came to be that Apollo, the Apollo guidance computer, how they were built, what is rope core memory, and how they made the how the whole thing with that you know program alarm, you know twelve oh two, twelve oh one, but then how a lot of the decisions were made, and it is very very geeky and incredibly it's fascinating if you're a dev. Yeah, think about it. that's the original catch try logic because you had no chance for failure. And so yeah. they had to think of every, mitigate every single thing. Plus with limited, we're talking about bytes of data that you're limited to. Not yeah. megabytes, not gigabytes, but bytes of data. It's just a fascinating, I like to look at that book to myself, but it's just fascinating. Oh, it was, it was great. And it, you know, it's, it's funny because they, there's a lot of like sound bites that people have about this stuff where they'll be like, you know, the, the processing power you have in your phone was more than what they had when they went to the moon. Yes. Well, it's different. Because even the space shuttle had five redundant computers on board. So one crashes, they have another one, they have another one, they have another one. On Apollo, they only had one. They had one (laughs) computer on the command module and one on the lunar module. And everything they had, this was the first time that software was being created. Really, effectively, it was really firmware now that we, when we look at it, but they would write this stuff. They would have to code all of it into the computer before everything was going to be loaded inside of the ship. They had no way to be able to go up at the last minute and change the programming for this. So not only did this thing have to be incredibly reliable and make sure it doesn't reboot itself over the course of, I think, twenty or 3,000 hours or 2,500 hours, or sorry, it can sustain instant reboots, but it has to be reliable to where it doesn't die because they couldn't take spare parts. They couldn't go through it. It was pure black box that it just had to work. Coming up with all the different patterns, making sure that, you know, the, the Margaret Hamilton came up with the concept of, you know, the computer has to be smart enough that even though it has all this processing power, we have to make sure that it doesn't overload itself. And so the computer has to know that there are certain tasks that are absolutely critical. And then there's other tasks that aren't as important, like updating what's something, the display, what is called the disky, the display and keyboard unit. And they would say the disk is all frozen up. It's like, it's not frozen up. It's just that the computer decided I'm overloaded and updating the screen isn't important, but controlling the thrusters and letting Neil Armstrong move things around, this is more important. This is what we're going to focus on. That's really, really cool. It's a great book. It's a great book. I'm, I'm listening to it and uh, I don't know, I'm listening to it when I go for a run. It, it, it doesn't help my pace because I get so in, entrenched in it and I just find that I start slowing down as I'm focusing on the book, but... At any rate, we have another pick submitted from one of our awesome listeners. This one is, and I'm going to mess this up, so I apologize ahead of time, but this one's from John Hullenberger. The title of this post is from the science, sciencedaily.com, and it's Telescopes in Space for Even Sharper Images of Black Holes. And the concept here is that in the past, well, best way to explain this right here, astronomers have managed to take the first image of the black hole, and now the next challenge facing it is how they get even sharper images so that they can really test Einstein's theory of general relativity. Uh, One of the things that they're looking forward to do is by launching radio telescopes into space. Instead of using the ones that are on Earth, they want to use ones that are in space away from all of the noise that we have that we generate on Earth. And so instead of, like CJ and I have talked about in a previous episode and some of our picks where you have 
telescopes all over the earth made the earth seem like a gigantic telescope. They want to do something similar, get these telescopes out, maybe put them on the moon where there's no radio interference and be able to do the exact same thing to get much clearer pictures. Cool. That's another cool little uh, um, link that's been provided to us by our awesome listener, John Hollenberger. I don't know where you are. I'm guessing, I'm not even going to try and guess. I shouldn't even do that. (laughs) Always a risk to do that. Hey, Steve, thanks a lot for taking the time to sit down with me and talk about this stuff today. I hope this is really interesting to our listeners. I had a great time talking about this. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you as well. So appreciate it. Well, we'll make sure everybody, if you're interested in learning more about this stuff, again, the show notes are going to have a whole bunch of links of stuff that Steve's going to provide us as well and some of the other videos and stuff that you can take a look at if you're interested in looking at migrating Azure or mainframes up into Azure. Thanks a lot. And we will see you next week. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in iTunes. Word of mouth recommendations are the most effective ways for us to grow the show, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or an MP3 and provide a link so that we can play your question on the show. You can subscribe to us in iTunes in the Google Play Store by searching for the Microsoft Cloud Show or via RSS at microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll also find notes of each episode. You can also find us on Facebook, searching for Microsoft Cloud Show or on Twitter at MS Cloud Show. And finally, sign up to our mailing list by heading over to our website and entering your email to interact with us, participate in upcoming interviews and other cool stuff. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.